Welcome to the Designing Hollywood podcast in association with the John Campia Show. I am your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. Today's episode is sponsored by the Costumes Rental Corporation. Today's guest is an American costume designer born in New Jersey. After graduating Carnegie Mellon University with a degree in theater design, Daniel Orlandi started his career working as an assistant to Bob Mackie on the film Pennies from Heaven, as well as numerous television specials and Mackie's successful couture collection. Leaving Mackie's studio, Daniel won the Costume Design Emmy for work with David Copperfield. Daniel comes to Borderlands after designing Antoine Fuqua's The Guilty. He also designed Ford v. Ferrari, directed by James Mangold, their second collaboration after Logan, starring the great Hugh Jackman. Daniel also designed Jurassic World. He recently worked with John Lee Hancock for the sixth time on The Little Things with Rami Malek and Denzel Washington. Other films he did, The Alamo, The Blind Side, Saving Mr. Banks, for which Daniel was nominated for both the BAFTA and the CGG Award, Highwaymen, starring Kevin Costner, and The Founder, starring Michael Keaton. He's collaborated with Jay Roach six times, starting with Meet the Parents and and 2015's Trumbo, for which he was nominated for a Costume Designers Guild Award. He also costumed the Emmy-nominated HBO production of All the Way, starring Brian starring Brian Cranston as LBJ. His other design work includes Ron Howard's Cinderella Man, The Da Vinci Code, and the Oscar-nominated Frost Nixon. Orlandi costumed Renee Zellger and Ewan McGregor in the beautiful 60s-style Down With Love, and Queen Latifah in Last Holiday. He worked with Joel Schumacher on Flawless, The Number 23, and Phone Booth. Daniel is nominated for an Emmy and a CGG Award for his costumes for Ryan Murphy's Emmy-winning HBO production of the acclaimed Larry Kramer play, The Normal Heart, and the Emmy-winning pilot of Silicon Valley. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure to bring back the first person I ever interviewed for this podcast, the great Daniel Orlandi, to the Designing Hollywood Show. Daniel, I'm so glad you agreed to talk to me one more time. Thanks for being here. I'm always happy to talk to you. Uh, I enjoy it. You're super smart and you know so much about the movies. Well, you know, I mean, I have to say when we first met and you told me that you started working with Bob Mackie, I I was like, you know, I had to bow in reverence to you because and and when you brought up pennies from heaven, uh, man, Bernadette Peters, Steve Martin. I actually love that film. I saw it. I don't want to say how younger I was than right now, but I really liked that movie a great deal. And I even had a movie poster of uh, Pennies from Heaven in my bedroom because uh, it was painted by uh, the great artist Bob Peak, And that, that, that uh, artwork was amazing. But when I heard you did that, I was, I was immediately smitten with you, sir, and suitably impressed. And it's so good to, to speak with you again because you've worked – I mean, you, you've done – it's very funny because since I've seen you last, this is probably embarrassing to admit, but I've managed to collect uh, a lot of 12-inch bespoke action figures from X-Men Dark Phoenix, and they're all wearing costumes that you've designed. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know you could get those. Uh, yeah. Well, they're don't tell anyone. They're unlicensed third-party figures I got from Hong Kong distributors, so shh, oh. don't tell anyone. 
because Fox will come after me. Uh, them. But yes, <laughs> them. <laughs> them. So let me ask you, I mean, you know, obviously you've you've had an incredible career and you've worked in all different kinds of genres. You've you've done superhero movies, you've done period pieces, you've done I love Down with Love. I mean, it's uh, uh, it, what what is your favorite genre to work in? You know what? I don't know if I have a favorite genre, uh, but that's the best thing about the movie business. It's a different world that you go into every time. And sometimes I'll start a project and think, oh, God. I don't know if I'm that interested in the subject matter. And then all of a sudden it becomes all consuming, uh, you know, and I love the research from any, you know, whether it's historic or I've done a lot of movies about real people. Uh, so it's really fun to read about the person and help get that actor find that character. Well, um, you know, when, when you're doing your research, where do you begin? Is it the script for you? Do you do you do you research a period? Do you research people of that period? Do you go to an art museum and look at frescoes from the time? Where does that research start with you? Well, it starts with the script. You know what? You know, you don't ever get enough research time. So I I start reading the script, and this is what I need to know. This is what I like. You know, this is. This is the parameters. You know, uh, when we were doing All the Way about LBJ, I read the amazing Robert Caro books. Mm. But I must say I read only the two that covered our movie <laughs> of the five. Well, I, I think the fifth one's coming out at some point. Uh, but, yeah, you you know, I, I remember going with uh, Robert De Niro when he was playing this man who had a stroke. And we went to this rehabilitation hospital. And I think he liked me there because they would start showing him something like how you get in a bathtub. And I'd say, yeah, he doesn't get in a bathtub in this movie. So let's just move on. Because uh, <laughs> he probably would have, you know, watched for two hours how they're getting out of a bathtub. Yeah, he, I'm sure he very much appreciated, appreciated that. Well, how, yeah. I mean, how, I've talked to some people that like I was, I was, um, I was speaking with uh, a costume designer who had done both Roland Emmerich's The Patriot and then also did Wild Wild West. And Wild Wild West was a steampunk period piece where the clothes did not have to have any basis in actual period reality, whereas The Patriot, both coming out in the same year, had to be slavishly accurate to the time in which they were representing. As a costume designer, do you feel a fealty to period or do you ever sort of look at it as an opportunity to sort of zhuzh it up a little bit well i'll say um before you break the rules you should know the rules and you know the wild wild west maybe isn't <laughs> historically accurate but there's certainly a foundation sure in the period and and that's what makes it look so good yeah uh, you don't have to be true to the period. You have to be true to the script. Well, when you're when you're delving into period, um, do you want to source actual fabrics? Do you do? You, I mean, I guess you can or have great recreations made. Um, how important is that 
I, I mean, if something's made of gabardine or, or wool or whatever that fabric is going to be, do you want to get that actual fabric if you're working on a period piece or can you get something that's similar? Well, sometimes you have to get something that's similar because fabric's not available. Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of those period fabrics aren't even legal uh, anymore. <laughs> uh, but it's all about the fabric. I mean, you can make a great design, but if you're using the wrong fabric, you have to follow. I learned a lot about fabric from working with Bob Mackey uh, and Ray Aguillon, his partner, uh, about the fabric dictates what the garment is going to be you can't make fabric do something that it can't right you you know i mean i remember ray always saying yeah tortured it looks tortured <laughs> how do you i mean is that something that you strive for to make sure all the fabric looks tortured because i would think that no it looks... you don't want it tortured <laughs> you don't want it tortured you want it to look you know the uh, you know, we've seen some period movies where they look upholstered and it's like they're using upholstery fabric. Right. I mean, it's my pet peeve. It's like, yeah, it's, it shouldn't be that heavy. The fabric shouldn't be that heavy. So I love to look at original garments. You know, you can't really use, you know, a real period piece. You can't really because nobody would fit into them. Right. And they're also so fragile. Um when you you started working for Bob Mackie, was working in the film industry or working in the fashion industry something that you always wanted to do? Or was it something when you went to Carnegie Mellon that you wanted to start pursuing? Or was it something that sort of found you? Well, here's the thing. I only wanted to work in the theater growing up. I wanted to be a set designer, costume designer for the theater. Uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon where I met still my very best friends. Uh, and we started, I started in New York and, you know, designing off, 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 <laughs> off Broadway shows where you, you know, they paid you no money and you paid for the costumes <laughs> and the set. Uh, and I loved it. And then I started working with two of my very best friends from college and we started working for a production designer. Uh, oh, this is going on. Sorry. I'll, I'll shorten it. No, not at uh, all. We, we uh, started working for a production designer and we did these uh, miniseries and films for PBS that were very, very low budget, non-union. Uh, and we finished one. After we finished one in Connecticut, we were talking and it's like, oh, PBS doesn't have any more money. They're not planning any of these shows that we've been doing for at least a year. And we looked at each other and said, all our friends in Los Angeles are working and making so much more money and doing really fun projects. And so the three of us drove across the country together, found an apartment when you could, when you could move to Los Angeles and someone would rent you an apartment to three guys with half a month's rent. <laughs> that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, and another friend from college was working at Bob Mackey's studio on some Las Vegas show. And he asked me to come in for two days and help them do crafts projects. And I thought, oh, I don't really want to do that. But I did. And guess what? Bob Mackey was looking for a new assistant and hired me with absolutely no experience in the movies. <laughs> uh, we, I, I saw him... Friday night and we, I, we were laughing about it 
Well, why why the hell he hired me? Well, you you have that uh, that thing that you have that star star quality that that uh, that you can't describe. You don't know you have it. But I'll tell you, I did not ask you about this. I think last time we spoke, and I have uh, to ask you about it. Okay. So, 1980, Roger yes. Corman, Jimmy Murakami, uh-huh. Battle Beyond the Stars. You were the wardrobe assistant. James Cameron did special effects for Battle Beyond the Stars. Isn't that funny? Working for Corman. I mean. You know, it was a year before Pennies from Heaven, but I have to ask you. I mean, well, it was uh, it was actually less than a year before I start. I did that in February, and I started working on Pennies from Heaven in June. Okay, yeah, it came out. Pennies from Heaven actually it came, came out, out yeah. way before. So yeah. I, I've got to ask you. I mean, this is such a weird thing, but <laughs> the other a year ago, um, the a uh, toy company made a toy of Sybil Danning's character, Saint, oh, really? Saint X-Men of the Valkyrie, in that costume. And and it, for those of you who haven't seen Battle Beyond the Stars, it was written by the great John Sayles. You know, before he was directing movies like Return of the Sakaka 7, he wrote low-budget things like Alligator, and he wrote Battle Beyond the Stars, which is a riff on The Seven Samurai or The Magnificent Seven. And you, uh, the costumes in that movie, for as low budget as it was, whether you were doing the, the alien, you had multiple alien races, you know, you had John Saxon as Sador of the Malmori, you, you, had, you had John Boy, you know, Richard Thomas, Darlene Flugel, you had, you had Sybil Danning and, and her Sybil exploitation, Danning, you had Robert Vaughn, you had George Pappard, I mean, you had an all-star cast in this wackadoo sci-fi film that I dearly love, uh, music score by James Horner, and I have yes, to- who was dating the wardrobe girl? <laughs> of course, he was <laughs> at the time. Uh, but no, here's the funny thing: I had nothing to do with the design of that movie. I just got hired to come in and put clothes on people. That had uh, to have been fun, though, with that cast. It was really fun because everybody it was so low budget. I mean, we were at Hammond Lumber, which was on um, in Venice Main Street in Venice. Uh, it's now the uh, that office with the big binoculars. Yeah, it's Chai Day, the the ad agency. Yeah, and we uh, or it was we were in this like an old lumber yard, and we I remember there was about a foot of water because it had been raining in February. There had been about a foot of water on the floor of the wardrobe space. And we'd be like, don't drop the iron in, in the water because we'll all be electrocuted. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, you know, it was, yeah, that was actually my first job, but I only worked, I think a month. Well, it, you know, I, I saw that film the, the weekend it opened and uh, I was very excited. I had forgotten to ask you about it last time we spoke. And I, yeah. I think the premiere was right down the street on that theater, um, that theater right on Main Street in Venice. Uh, it's still there. Huh. I forget what it's called, but I remember going, and it was really fun. Dorinda Wood was the designer, and she was quite kind to me. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, the, it- every time I see her, a matter of fact, I saw her at a screening about a month ago and we laughed about it well another film that you worked on relatively early in your career as a costume designer was the fan 
which is a, a Tony Scott film. And I am a huge Tony Scott fan, but this cast, Robert De Niro, Wesley Snipes, the great Ellen Barkin, John Leguizamo, uh, it's kind of Tony Scott's forgotten movie. Patty de Armville, Benicio del Toro. And I, I'm a big fan of this movie, actually. And again, oh, good. I, I didn't ask you about it. And, um, uh, you know, you were the costume designer on that film. and Co-costume designer. Yeah, and what was that like going to work for... I mean, it was interesting because Tony Scott, you know, um, he he cut his teeth. He made The Hunger 13 years before The Fan came out, which is a huge... I, I love that film. But then he went on and, and did... so stylish and so... I mean, David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve and mm. the, the costumes in that film. And Susan Sarandon. Um, incredible, yeah. but you know he he had become one of one of the most sought after directors in Hollywood after making things like he did after the Hunger he did Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop Two, but then he went on and really became his own man, and he really in the '90s making movies like Crimson Tide and making movies like The Fan. And uh, what was it like working on that film with that cast? It was wild. Tony Scott is was was it's was amazing and funny and i mean we're you know at two o'clock in the morning in the bowels at stony where the boy who plays de niro's son is getting a haircut and tony scott is basically cutting his hair <laughs> uh, that's how uh sorry no no worries uh, so it was I so enjoyed it. I mean, and you know, with the rain towers and Ellen Barkin, and, and I, that's where I met Robert De Niro. Yeah. And matter of fact, he, after that film, they called me to do a mini series that he produced in New York. I don't think they could get anybody that would do it because it was so low budget, but it was a mini series about Sammy the bull. Right. Okay. Uh, and so I came to do it. And then after that, he recommended me to Jay Roach. Uh, and as he said, I will recommend you. I would never insist. And he then recommended me to Joel Schumacher. And, you know, I did multiple projects with him. So, and I learned so much from De Niro about how to costume an actor because every single detail was important to him. Well, okay, let me, I, I mean, it's really interesting because a short period of time after you did that, you worked on yeah. Flawless with him that Joel Schumacher yes. directed. You did Jay yes. Roach, you did Meet the Parents. Yes. And uh, and it's De Niro, you know, the man. The yeah. man's a legend. So let me ask you what you just said. In hearing that every detail was important to you, how did you then, to him. well, to him, did you later take the lessons you learned from De Niro and implement them into sort of your costume designer worldview? Absolutely. Absolutely. He, uh, meticulous research. You know, I remember even on the fan, we'd go in and uh, in the morning, I, you know, his clothes were in his trailer and he'd call me in and he'd say, are these the socks that we chose? I'm like, yes. He goes, okay. You know, just because we fit, he, you know, in a fitting, he will try anything on. I mean, I have Polaroids from the fitting for the fan that he is wearing the most outrageous stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, that wasn't right for the film, but let's try it. Sure. Now, do you like yeah. that? And Ellen Barkin, who is a force of nature. Oh. Uh, I so enjoyed 
I so enjoyed her. Uh, again, a huge fan of hers. She's even interacted with me on Twitter. I, I, I was like, my heart skipped oh, yeah? a beat. My God, she talked back to me because I, I love a movie she made that's currently unavailable called Siesta that she made with Mary oh, Lambert. Yeah. She made it with when she was married to uh, her husband at the time, Gabriel Byrne. They, they did that yeah. together. But she was now she was also uh, an incredible force of nature. What was it like working with her on that film? She's great because Tony Scott would, you know, say something like, I think you should have like denim miniskirts and cowboy boots. And she looked at him and said, you put that on and you play the part. <laughs> She doesn't take any, she doesn't take anything from anybody. Uh, so we really got along quite well. Uh, you know, she's, I mean, I don't know if she, she once said, there's this handbag that I think would be perfect for the character. And I know, and she was like, with your exquisite taste, you'll love it. And then we went to pick it up at the store. She'd seen it and it was like, 10 times the budget that we could afford for a handbag. And I said, <laughs> if I buy that handbag for you, I will be fired. And she's like, yeah, all right. I, I tried. She did try. You, you got to give it up for her. Yeah. Well, now yeah. you you have a longstanding, I mean, you've worked for multiple directors on numerous occasions, whether it's John Lee Hancock, yes. whether it's Ron Howard, whether it's Joel Schumacher. And of course, you, you met him, you did Flawless with De Niro. And then yeah. soon after you did Phone Booth, which is amazing uh, because you have to put a character in one outfit in an enclosed space for a majority of the film. But let me ask you this, when... When you meet a director like like a Joel Schumacher, do you guys hit it off right away? Because he came from design. I mean, before he was directing, he was he was a costume. He was a great costume, a designer. great costume designer, and and uh, of course, you know, we 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 see he's even been portrayed by actors in other movies. <laughs> so yeah, I saw him in the miniseries about Halston, and yeah. I thought that's not that's that was not my take on Joel Schumacher from anything I saw or ever read about him. No, and he was the one, he was the first director I was able to meet when I was in film school, and he came and, uh -huh. and spoke, he spent like you know, four hours in a class, and he walks to the front of the, the and there's only like 20 of us, it was at USC and he sits on a table Lotus style, you know, Indian style he got up on the table and sat there and then it was one of the most riveting four hours I've ever spent ever listening to him speak. And I was able to meet him a couple other times, like on the set of Flatliners. Yeah. But what was it like when you first met him? And how do you as a costume designer begin that kind of a relationship with a director that carries through multiple projects? Where do you, how do you, how do you have a meeting of minds? Where does that start mm -hmm. with you guys? Well, I went to meet him because De Niro had recommended me. Uh, and he was shooting another movie. Uh, what was it called? Super 8? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yes, it might have been Super 8 with Nicolas yeah. Cage. Yes. Yeah, it was about porn. Yes. And Andy Kevin yes. Walker, who wrote Seven, wrote that script. Yes. And I went to meet him on the set. And he came in and I brought my book and everything. He said, well, if Bob loves you, I love you. 
So I started with him and he, you know, I have to say he gave me so much confidence as a designer because it was early in my career and he uh, was so supportive. And, you know, look at all the talent that he found, Um, you know, he he gave Colin Farrell his first movie. Yeah. And that was a phone booth. No, his first was Tigerland. Oh, okay. Tigerland. He saw him in a play. But you didn't do Tigerland. I did not do Tigerland. Okay, right, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, But then got to work with Colin uh, on Phone Booth. So so on Flawless, he was... He was so great to me because we had this like drag ball at the end of yeah. the movie. And I was, I was designing all of the, for all the different characters, all these different costumes. And I was starting to show him the sketches and he's like, no, no, I want to be surprised. <laughs> I mean, that gave me so much confidence. That Yeah. Um, that he trusted me to do something that he would like. Uh, well, to, okay, so to do something like that, he's given you a lot of leeway. In doing, say, that whole drag ball sequence and knowing you're working for yeah. Joel Schumacher, who himself was a a great designer and worked for Halston. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where did you start for a sequence like that? Because this had to have been, it had to have been nerve-wracking for you. Well, we thought about the character, you know, the different characters. They, they you know, they were smaller parts. And it's like, what would their character, what would their idea be mm-hmm. of, something good and it had to look a little bit homemade because philip seymour hoffman's character is making them for that right sure they were on the mannequins as we go in and you know the one one that was really fun and i went to joel we made one dress out of beanie babies (laughs) where we had dipped them in flitter (laughs) Uh, genius (laughs) and it was you know we just we just wanted to have fun and not make them too much because you you because now you see drag balls and they're like, oh, we didn't have anything like that. We were more of like the pageant kind of girls. Right. Uh, and we had some very well-known drag queens that uh, that played parts, the mean ones. And it, yeah, it, was, it was really a fun project. We shot it all in Williamsburg. And a little, uh, a building on 13th and Avenue A, which was this rundown old building, which now probably is a multi-million dollar building <laughs> because now, you know, it's a hot area in town. So it's just funny to see, to see how things change, but I love Joel. Yeah. Uh, and I saw Colin Farrell recently and we talked about how much we love Joel. Yeah. He was, he was a, it was a great guy. Um, and he was very inspirational to me, uh, when I met him in school and then later uh, I was working on the Warner brothers lot while he was shooting flatliners. And uh-huh. I actually ran into him on the lot and I introduced myself again and he invited me, um, to the set, you know, and I, because I was working on the lot and feature production at Warner brothers, I was on the yeah, lot yeah. all the time. And he said, uh-huh. you know, just come watch me work. You can come whenever you want. And he was very kind in that way. And I did, you know, I did, I went multiple times and watched them work, uh, shooting that film and he was generous and gracious and he was really funny. So funny and so, so funny. smart. I noticed everything oh. uh, on the set. Anybody who came in, who's that? Yeah, even in uh, his peripheral vision. Like yeah, he it was yes. like he had he literally had eyes at the back of his head. Yeah. So. 
yeah, he, yeah, I so enjoyed working with him. Uh, Do you approach ensemble, uh, films with a bigger ensemble cast in a different way than, I mean, obviously flawless, you're dealing with Philip Seymour Hoffman and you're dealing with De Niro, but when you're doing something like meet the parents or mm -hmm. you're doing a, a, a film with a larger cast of characters, do you approach the design work for ensembles differently than you approach films that have single or just a few characters? No, I approach each character separately. How is their character? I love actors and I want them to feel it's their character. So I don't want to ever impose something that they're not comfortable mm. with because even in a fitting, you can talk them into it, but then I really don't want to talk them into it every day for three months. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's their character. So no, I like to, I, you know, I give, I, I, I like to dress all the extras. I love small films where I can just go in and, and dress all the extras and I give every extra their 15 minutes of, uh, time to make them feel like the character. I remember we were doing when we were doing the Alamo, we had all of these extras coming in and a lot of them were like, my great grandfather was at the Alamo. It's like, well, then there must have been 10,000 people at the Alamo. Uh, and they all died. But they, they all died. Did you ever hear the story that um, JFK, when he was running for president, made a speech at the Alamo and he talked to the person at the Alamo and said, I want to make a speech in the front of the Alamo and I just need to sneak out the back. And the guy said, there is no back door to the Alamo. That's why they're all heroes. <laughs> and a woman from the Daughters of the Texas Revolution heard him say that and it became kind of a scandal. <laughs> I, I, that I did but, not know. Actually, that movie's quite good. Uh, it's the first time I met John Lee Hammond. Yeah. Now, and as hard as it was, I mean, no one has ever, we've never, I, I mean, it was so hard. Just the weather oh, I, and the amount of people, because there's almost no CGI in that right. movie. I, they didn't have, they didn't really have what we have now, obviously. So, no, when they just chose to, you know, they just chose for us to dress 800 to 1,000 Mexican soldiers every day for months. Yeah. Including then all the defenders all the time because of the weather. We never, they never knew what they were going to shoot. Whether we're going to shoot the army today or we're going to shoot the defenders today or we're going to shoot the town. Uh, so we just dressed everybody every day. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Another film, I mean, so you did you did the Alamo, but that you did that uh, after and Billy Bob Thornton is so great in that so movie. so great in that and, film. And he, I bumped into him a few years later and he said it was the greatest experience of my life getting to play Davy Crockett. Wow. Uh, and and it, it was like he was born to play that role. Yeah. So good. Well, right before I got to ask this, because uh, I love the film, but before the Alamo, you did down with love with director Peyton Reed. Yes. Uh, again, yes. you and McGregor, Renee Zelger, it, the design of that film, were, were you channeling a little pennies from heaven? A little Bob Mackie? No, I was channeling Doris Day. Okay. And those, those Doris Day movies and all the fake ones were the first movies that I ever noticed costumes and how they went with the sets. And, and so I, 
I was so lucky to get that movie. I'd worked with the line producer on a film before that, kind of very low budget film. And she slipped me the script early. And then when we were doing Phone Booth, the head of production at uh, Fox, I like grabbed her and said, that's the movie for me. I was born to design that movie. Uh, and I designed the whole movie before I even met anybody. I went in to meet the director and producers and I brought in 50 sketches. Wow. Now, how many, like, had you ever done that before? That's a lot of work. It was a lot. It, it was so much fun. It was just so much fun to do the sketches. Well, when you do something like that, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that would say like, well, you know, if I'm not going to get paid for it, and you'd already had a lot of great credits under your under your belt by this point. Not, no, I didn't. Well, you had, you, you worked with you know, Schumacher and De Niro multiple times at this point, right? Uh, because uh, Down With Love. I know we had started on the Alamo with Ron Howard and then it shut down. Right, okay. And then I did Down With Love. Oh, okay. Because then, while we were like once a week going to uh, look at stuff, because we continued making all of the things for the album, right? While I did all of Down with Us, and then the first thing that you collaborated with um, with Ron Howard was Cinderella Man. Was that the first film that you did? You finally, yes, yes. Well, I had been the associate designer on Apollo thirteen. Oh, so okay. Uh, and then I had helped out on the Grinch. But you weren't the costume designer. I was not the costume designer. So you had a good relationship. So I knew with him. Because it was it and... was really interesting. You 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 have in a short period of time you did the Alamo, you did Cinderella Man, you did the Da Vinci Code, in a yeah. in a pretty short period of time. So your career was on fire. You know, you're working with all of these greats and working on these great films with with world class actors. When you were when you were in the midst of this. Was it something, did you have to pinch yourself? Were you like, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm doing every day. You don't have time. You're just like, oh my God, I got this job. You know, Cinderella Man, which I also think is sort of a really great film. Oh, it's... And Russell Crowe's performance is magnificent. Oh. And it was so fun to do Renee Zellweger in Down With Love, where it's all sort of 60s and cute. And then she becomes a depression housewife in, right. <laughs> In New Jersey in the 30s with holes in her clothes. Uh, <laughs> well, when you develop, do you develop relationships with then actors that then trust you? And and I would imagine you guys must have had a blast once you know one another. What's it like for with De Niro or with Renee Zellger when you have an ongoing relationship, not with a director, but with actors? Is, is there a shorthand that you develop? What's it like to to have those kinds of relationships. Cause I would imagine the actors, I mean, I've always said the first line of defense with, with anyone on a, on a film is you have to make sure your hair and makeup people uh, and the costume team are the best because the actors have to not worry about how they look. They have to know when they walk out onto, on the set, yeah. they can think about their character and their lines. They have to know, and they have to trust the hair and makeup and the costume design team implicitly before they can, do what they do. So I would imagine your relationships with actors are one of the front lines or one of the first things that any great production needs to have. Isn't that true? Yeah. Well, I love working with actors. 
I love helping them. I want them to feel comfortable in the character. I mean, you know, I've done a lot of movies about real people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't want them to do an impersonation. We want them to inhabit the character and make it their character. Uh, so I feel very protective of actors. Uh, sometimes I'm the go-between between the director and the actor. And it's like, the actor wants this, the director wants this. It's like, let's uh, let's have a compromise. So, because it's much better for the actor to feel like the character that they're playing than it is because uh, their dress is going to match some wall. Right. Right. Well, uh, I, I, which is, which is, I think a very important, like what is, what is one of the great lessons that if anyone else wants to get into the design field to be a costume designer and work their way up in the industry, when it comes to working with actors, what is one of the great pieces of advice you might give a, a, a young costume designer about working with an actor? Listen, be open to their suggestions. I'm happy to try anything that an actor might want, just as long as they might try something that I might think would be mm. good. You know, you have to make them feel comfortable with you. I, you know, I, I mean, I, it's become now a thing where, you know, sometimes a producer will tell you to tell the actor to lose weight. And it's like, I would never right. tell an actor that. I would never tell an actor that. I would never tell a person that. Sure. Even though I, I could stand to lose a few pounds, just so you know. But but no, I understand that because that's not your place, though. You know, it's it's that's not my place. That and it's not even their place. Right. Well, un- unless you know, of course, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a great movie called What Just Happened, that's about art producer Art Linson and De Niro stars in it. And he plays this uh-huh. beleaguered producer, like a fictional Art Linson. And, oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. It is every time I watch it, it just it it. I love the movie. It's probably one of the truest uh-huh. movies ever made about what a producer ends up doing. And and he's hired Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis plays himself, and and he's a little portly, and he's got a big bushy beard, and De Niro's the producer has to get in there and tell him lose the beard and lose some weight, and it is. Yeah. Truer words, as, yeah. as you just said, were have never been spoken. You know, it's not your place yeah. to tell. Let the producer handle it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know what? I feel uh, I sometimes work with some people on my team and they're like, just tell the producer. It's like, you know what? The producer, everybody wants something from him. You know, let's maybe once in a while give him something that he wants. Uh, so I love producers. I get along with producers. You know, that's the best thing about our industry. It's so collaborative. I love working with the production designer, cinematographer, uh, producers, the actors. Right. Well, and, and you keep working with the same people, like working with, with Ron Howard and, and with Tom Hanks. You've worked with Tom Hanks multiple times. As, as we say on, on the daily show that I do here, the John Campion show, we say that Tom Hanks is America's dad. You know, everyone loves Tom Hanks, and you got to work with him on the Da Vinci Code and Saving Mr. Banks, which I, I loved him in, and uh, I loved him in that. I, he was so good, I and I don't think anybody else could have played Walt Disney as well as he did. I, I completely agree with you, and I, I have to say, I love the costumes in that film. You know, there was there oh, was thanks. a great period flair to them, but it wasn't ostentatious. There was, 
it really felt i mean i and of course emma thompson was great in that film is there a better person in the world no and and then you get to reteam with colin farrell again and colin who's you know it was so funny because he he, you know he's in 1918 1916 australia and we were doing a scene and he was all dressed and he said well i should take my shoes off in the scene i'm like and we were out on some location. I said, no, don't take your shoes off. He goes, why? I said, because you don't have period socks on. And he goes, ah, we caught you. <laughs> and he didn't take his shoes off. <laughs> well, at least you're looking into that kind of detail, which is, I'm sure, so appreciated. Oh. And then, you know, you went on and and there it was so interesting because you kind of did, you did fraud. There's a, a, a period of time where you were doing a lot of real people. Uh, you did Frost yeah. Nixon, you know. You did Saving Mr. Banks. You did Trumbo. You did The Founder. You know, with with Michael yeah. Keaton. Yeah. Um, how much of and, a f- and and also the Blind and the side. Blind Side, which is with Sandra Bullock, which is interesting because you know I'll tell you this story about Sandra Bullock. When I first spoke with her, she said, "I want to look exactly like the woman. I want exactly the same kind of clothes." So. Leanne Tui opened her closet and we had photographs and there were sort of bright colors and patterns. And in our first fitting with Sandra Bullock, uh, we started trying that stuff on and it looked wrong. Hmm. It just looked wrong. It looked kind of vulgar. And we then, what we did was we did the shapes of Leanne's clothes, but we took out all the color and all the pattern. And then all of a sudden the skirts could be a little too tight and not, you know, and it, then all of a sudden the character clicked and you have those moments that's, that were so great because we put on like the first thing and it was like, oh yeah, this is it. But, and we just went that So, way. so then you're, you're open to that. So she wasn't doing an impersonation. She was inhabiting that. Right. Moment, the spirit. Okay. So then, you know, you had to see her and you could feel that it was wrong. But when you do something yeah. like she felt it too, yeah, of course. But when you do a Frost Nixon and you have to like yeah. recreate a famous series of interviews or something, yeah. would you allow actors to do the same thing? Like if if Frank Langella wanted to wear something, maybe the 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 suit that Nixon wore wasn't right. Could you then mm-hmm. go redesign a suit for him as long as it was redolent of the original suit, or, or how how I close, so. how authentic do you want to be in something like Frost Nixon? Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because Ron Howard did a genius thing with that movie. Uh, Frank Langella looks nothing like Richard right. Nixon. Nothing like Richard Nixon, and. Ron was so, and they did a little bit of prosthetic on him. They just changed, you know, they, they gave him a wig, uh, you know, shaved his head and gave him a wig. And they put, I think, a little bit of nose on him. But Ron Howard introduces Nixon. First, we see, we hear his voice. Then we see newsreel footage of him far away. And we're getting used to him. And then we finally see him, and it it's not jarring. Brilliant. It was it was yeah. That's you know great filmmaking. A director who's thinking because originally it was going to be a different actor in the movie, right? Anthony Hopkins. Who I had 
Uh, no, it was going to be. It was going to be. It was going to be Warren Beatty as Richard Nixon. He looks. You know what? I would say about two years before, I was in a costume shop and I was working for another designer, and he walked in and I'm like, "Wow, he, he looks a little like Richard Nixon." <laughs> I, and when they said Rich, that he was maybe going to play the part, I'm like, well, two years ago, I mentioned to someone how I thought he looked like Richard Nixon. I could see that. I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Reds, his movie Reds that he directed kind of changed my life. Oh. I was blown away by that. A film that I my my mother reluctantly dragged me to and I was captivated by oh, that wow. movie. I don't know yeah. why, but, um, you know. It's, you know, I watched it during the pandemic. Does it hold up? And it's, it holds up really well and it's really long and it never seems uh, long. No, I remember loving that film and I saw it in this giant theater, the same theater I saw like Logan's Run and Superman the movie. And so it was, I had the Spy Who Loved Me, the first Bond movie I ever saw in the theater. And I'm like, Reds? Really? But yeah. my, I was blown away by it. But now I have yeah. to ask you. He's made so many great movies. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love Shampoo. He's, uh, he's, great. I love the parallax view. Alan oh, Pakula is the parallax. It's one of the scariest movies I've uh, ever it, seen. It is so good. And the end of that movie, I mean, the X-Files wouldn't exist without that film. Um, yeah. But now comes the point where, where because our audience on, on now we've moved our podcast to, the John Campion show where we cover a lot of modern films. You arguably designed, you've designed for superheroes. I alluded to it earlier, but, but you did of course, X-Men dark Phoenix and what may be the greatest superhero film ever made, which is Logan. You teamed up with James Mangold again, and uh, you inherited Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, as Logan, you inherited Patrick Stewart as professor X, uh, you had other, the great Richard E. Grant. You had all these other actors. Now, let me ask you this. Coming, knowing Bob Mackie and designing period pieces and real r- real characters, whether it was Nixon, whether it was Ray Kroc, all these characters that you designed, now you're going to delve into the world of mutants. <laughs> what was that like for you? Like when you, okay, you're, you're, and, and then you already had a lineage of mutant films you'd seen Hugh Jackman had played Wolverine. Well, he's going to play Wolverine again, but um, you, this was yeah. going to be the last time he was going to play Wolverine. How? What was that like for you? Like, okay, I'm doing comic book movies now. Well, I, you know, I got called to go meet Jim Mangold on Wolverine. And I'm like, me? Why would he hire me? <laughs> uh, uh, and I went in and we just talked about, uh, I mentioned, which it was very funny. I talked about, I said, well, I see this character in the movie, uh, you know, Wolverine in this movie, he's almost like Robert Mitchum, like in one of, one of those film noirs. <laughs> you probably love that. Well, he did, because then I walk out into the lobby and there is a full length poster (laughs) of Robert Mitchum, Kiss Me Deadly, I think. Uh, 
<laughs> so I, you know, in the, and I had not really, I'll confess, I had not seen a Wolverine movie. Uh, that's probably for the best. And that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said. And yeah, because they, you know, wanted it so different. I mean, they wanted, they did not want to call it Logan. Yeah, they probably uh, want to call it the, the last Wolverine movie or something. Yeah. The end of Wolverine. And yeah, I mean, he, you know, Jim Mangold is a pretty smart guy. I mean, I, and I loved working with you, Jackman. And it was very funny because I said, well, you know, like he's, he's a chauffeur and maybe he has a black jacket, but probably black jeans. And Jim was like, no, I think he should just have a suit. Well, Hugh came in and we did the fitting and I put him in black jeans and the jacket and, and, uh, Jim came in and said, see, yeah, black suit, just what I want. I'm like, those are jeans. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, all right. <laughs> I said, they're just going to hold up in all the fighting so much better than super rights. Which would tear in the first fight. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, and with like saggy crotch. And so I loved working with you and, and Patrick Stewart. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. He had a photo double for a lot of those shots of like running away or being pushed in the wheelchair down the right. hills and everything. And we get there one night and his his uh, stand in didn't show up. And the producer looked at me and said, oh, you better go hide. <laughs> That's very funny. It was, I mean, it's a great, uh, it was a great film, but, but, you know, going back to your battle beyond the stars roots, suddenly now you're doing with yeah. futurism, you're dealing with sci-fi technology and all of that. Yeah. Was that something that you embraced? Because then you later took it to the nth degree and, yeah. and, um, for Simon Kinberg in, in X-Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, when I started on Logan, there was this concept art for the mutants uh, uh, and it, they were so over the top. And I went to Jim with it and I said, is this what you want? And he's like, Oh God, no. <laughs> so we made it all sort of, uh, it was all sort of surplus. I said, cause they have to walk through a casino and nobody's got to pay any attention to them. Right. I mean, if they're dressed with these headdresses on and, you know, I think people would like look, and so, so we did. We did it all from sort of army surplus and pieces and pieces of armor. And, and you know, I think it worked. It was all sort of grounded. And the, the production designer and I got along so well on it. And uh, we really uh, worked together closely. Uh, I think uh, Logan's lair in Mexico is so cool looking and so, but it just feels real. You know, when, when then we were doing... Uh, my god my characters names i can't even remember um the albino right we said well he's uh they're living in mexico they don't have any money i said well maybe he should have a serape and a straw hat and that's what we did which is great so it was really fun to come up with these concepts and uh with the little girl and uh well it's it's funny because i think that i felt very proud of the way we made that movie look it all feels very yeah well i bad. i'm always uh, on this show i'm and yeah, i'm always using the word verisimilitude you know the appearance of of being real and i think in 
in fantasy films, especially like a movie like Logan, the more real it feels, the better off it's better for the film, especially with yeah. what he's he's going for. Well, I, I can't believe this conversation has almost been going on for an hour. I can't hold you. You're no, it's it's almost three o'clock. But but I mean, I could talk to you forever and I'm sure we'll have you you back. But before I let you go. Uh, you've had such uh -huh. a great career, and and you you continue. Have, as a matter of fact, you did something recently. Um, you did a Stephen King adaptation that I I it's on the I, I quite I quite yeah. enjoyed. I I thought that was a uh, that was great. It's on I think it's on Netflix, right? Netflix, yeah, which yeah. I I really I love that too. And obviously, you've got Borderlands coming up with a a great cast. Um, great and cast. I, Wild. Yeah, I can't wait to see what that looks like because obviously. Again, based on a game, which is which is amazing, um, and I really liked again another innovative film, The Guilty. You know that was that was a, another film where uh, obviously it was a it was almost like a, a one set kind of a, a of a story. Really, really interesting. I really like that. And Jake Gyllenhaal was yeah, it was our pandemic yeah, movie. It was, it was like perfect. perfect. An eight minute drive from my house. <laughs> one actor. Oh, it was great. Uh, and I got to work with Antoine yes. Fuqua, who I respect so much, and uh, and I was so thrilled to work with him. And Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal. The funny thing was, Jake Gyllenhaal, we did that movie, and we went to Budapest to do Borderlands with Jamie Lee Curtis, who is amazing. And she's like, "Did you have you done anything during the pandemic before this? And I said, yeah, I did this movie. It was one actor in one costume on one set and she goes did you do the guilty and i'm like yeah she goes jake's my godson wow i didn't know that so she facetimed him <laughs> that's amazing so she so he, yeah. he, he she could check up on you which is good always good yeah. well how in this day and age with people getting instagram famous uh and and people don't necessarily need the rigorous academic background or the time put in how would you recommend if anybody's interested in getting into costume design and film, where should they start? What can they do? How can they get a background to sort of get into this profession now? What do you think is important to tell people? I think a good education is important. Uh, a a well-rounded education because you're talking with producers, directors, actors. And I think, you know, the, the more you know, the better about anything, you know, politics, history, history of costume, you know, uh, it, uh, I, a good education. And I was lucky enough to grow up at a time when public school education was magnificent. Yeah. You know, and we learned so much uh, for free. Yeah, absolutely. I, f I feel uh, the same way. I, uh, I feel bad for these kids uh, that, the public schools just don't have the budget to give them French class in first grade like I right. had or music class or art class. I mean, I remember, I think it was second grade, our art teacher started showing us these slides of paintings and we're looking at the Renaissance and da -da, and going through. And then she shows us a Matisse of this blue woman. And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, and we all was like, blue, ladies aren't blue. And, but it's so... I made my parents take me to the Princeton Art Museum to go see the painting because I said, I got to see this painting in real wow. life. Wow. I just don't understand. Yeah, it. so you never know when you're. It, 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 
like sets you off on something, makes you think. That's why education, you never know when somebody's going to key on something and that painting probably changed your life. Yeah, it did. It's funny too, because our our school had these paintings of, you know, reproductions of old masters and they had this Marie Cassatt painting and it was still life with puppies. And I thought it was about nuclear holocaust and there were only puppies left. (laughs) There's still life with these puppies, but everything else is gone. That's amazing. (laughs) Now, Daniel, are you on social media anywhere? Are you on Instagram? Can people? I'm on Instagram, you know, modestly but can people see do you put examples of your work up there oh yeah yeah every once in a while i'll post is it just your name daniel orlandi uh it's daniel o h o o i think it's daniel o okay maybe or no it might just be daniel i don't know (laughs) i don't people will find you yeah they can find me if if daniel o it comes right up well daniel orlandi uh this was so great to Daniel O. Orlandi. Daniel O.H. Orlandi. It was so great to speak with you again. I enjoy speaking with you so much, and I hope I didn't talk too much. I really enjoy hearing you talk about the movies that you Oh, no, no. This is all about you on this this podcast. And, you know, it was funny. The first time I met you, I was nervous because we had to go to a studio on Wilshire Boulevard, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God. I, 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 you know, I researched. I, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know where, and it was so much fun to speak with you, and I had such a great time. You you eased my my career into hosting this podcast, and and to to see you again yeah. almost two years later, it's so great to talk to you, uh, especially now we're coming out of the pandemic and and everything. And I just want to say thank you again yeah. for appearing here on the podcast. My pleasure, anytime. Well, thank you very much, and thank you to our very impressive sponsor, Costumes Rental Corporation. The variety of costumes at Costumes Rental Corporation is expansive. CRC is recognized worldwide as the premier supplier of military and police costume uniform rentals. Costumes Rental Corporation takes pride in its commitment to each customer, helping to produce the type of exceptional look needed for a successful production. A special thank you to founder and executive producer Martika Ibarra, co-founder, costume designer, the legendary Marilyn Vance, and of course, John Campia from The John Campia Show. Our technical director is Taylor Gonzalez. Thank you to all of our viewers for tuning in, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Tune into the audio version wherever you listen to podcasts. I am, of course, your host, Robert Meyer Burnett, and you can find me on Instagram at rmburnett, or find me on Twitter at burnettrm, or on YouTube at postgeeksingularity. Thanks very much. Like, subscribe, and give us your comments. What would you like to see on the channel? Write down below. Thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you on the next episode of Designing Hollywood.